Radio. Welcome to the NASCA Stop Child Abuse Now Broadcast Radio Show. NASCA is the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. My name is Victoria Kelly, and I'm the Minnesota Ambassador, and I'm also your host for this evening. And we are on scan number 3297. And I'm excited to introduce to you our special guest this evening. However, first, we have a single purpose at NASCA, to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect, and we do so with only two goals. One, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. Two, we offer hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving Prevention, Innovation, Prevention, and Recovery. Again, we are on scan number 3297. If you'd like to be a part of the panel this evening, please call in at 646-595-2118. And any uh, night, Monday through Friday, that's the same time. And uh, my co-host or myself will meet you on the back line and ask if you have any questions or anything to say um, to our guests. And we sure would love to have you join us and uh, support our guests. Our special guest for this evening is Pastor Deborah um, Schley, um, who grew up all over the world in a military family where her mother was mentally ill and now a survivor professional. Living in Pensacola, Florida, she's trained in ministry, mental health, working with substance abuse, and is trauma-informed social worker, all in one. She volunteers with many community organizations. Pastor Deborah says she can minister by text, phone, Skype, in person and however the Lord directs her, 24-7. She teaches that humans have three parts, uh, being of spirit, soul, and the physical body, and believes that all three are important, and that each area needs care. We look forward to Pastor Deborah being an active, forward to Pastor Deborah, being an active member of NASCA family. She has been for a long time. Um, on these episodes, we welcome various co-hosts and survivor professionals who will assist in fielding questions and lead a variety of topics suggested by our call and participants. Their trauma-informed perspectives as survivor professionals will help guide, um, them guide the discussions on issues of child abuse, trauma, and healthy human sexuality. And uh, everybody's uh, invited to engage in tonight's show. 
please visit the NASCA.org website. That's N-A-A-S-C-A.org website. We have about 42 programs on there. Hello, Pastor Deborah. How are you this evening? Hello, Victoria. I'm doing fine. I'm doing real well. Weather's great. Health is good. So I'm here to do some teaching on on the topic of healing. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. Well, I'll let you yeah. go ahead because you've always thought, and I appreciate coming back all the time and being on the show because uh, you're a regular guest and we really appreciate it. All right. Well, you do your part back there yeah. in the back, and if anybody comes I, on, just, you know, sort of interrupt. All right. Uh-huh. Hello, everyone. I'm Pastor Deborah. And as Victoria said, I have a variety A life has been very filled with many experiences. I come from the military, grew up in that, never uh, was a part of any community, have a warrior spirit, Uh, traveled the world, still have, and I still do now on social media. I've had a a license as a clinical mental health counselor, which means I had to have a master's degree, plus a lot of other stuff. I was nationally certified as a clinical mental health counselor with the National Counselors Board. I was a lobbyist up in Washington, D.C. and in the state for mental health counseling. I was a representative uh, for the national group on the public policy and legislative committee, so I had to legislate. I had to go up and lobby and understand law. I worked with the, the public colleges and universities to write the programs and to help students develop the proper classes they were going to need to be nationally certified. And I was a chairman of a nominating committee. So I've had a variety of experiences in mental health. I worked in a rehabilitation hospital with spinal cord injury patients, head injury patients, burn patients, people with all kinds of disabilities. And I worked with their families, did a lot of group and educational things with people in an outpatient level. Also volunteered in the community a lot, learned a lot, was a guardian ad litem for children of child abuse. I was a state uh, adult victims advocate, went through that training, uh, said under the attorney general. Uh, I was uh, eyes and ears for the judge in family law. So I've also had uh, training with the police and the sheriff. So I understand Baker acting and people in psychiatric hospitals. I have been a hospital chaplain. Uh, worked in the emergency rooms, uh, working with all the different wards and the doctors and the nurses and helping people die. Been a hospital uh, volunteer. And so I had a variety of experiences of helping people. And what I discovered is we all need help in so many different ways. But here with NASCA, which is an organization working with adults who've had childhood abuse of any kind, Most of it's been sexual for a lot of the people, and it's been very traumatic. And what they have learned is it does the trauma, the abuse seems to last a long time into the child's teenage years, the adult years, and even into their senior years. So when Bill found me out on LinkedIn uh, with uh, my LinkedIn profile, I was already doing videos on social media and on YouTube with the channel, The Hidden Kingdoms. And I do a lot of spiritual teaching, uh, healing-type work. Because what uh, happened to me is uh, I am a Christian, and God wanted to uh, help me to start studying and learning 
how to help people the Lord's way. So he sort of closed the door on mental health counseling, put me through extensive studying, not in a university, but in books and videos and life experiences to help people the Lord's way. And I was a part of a global worldwide revival in Pensacola, Florida, called the Brownsville Assembly of God Revival from 1995 to probably about 2000. I was on the prayer team. I was on the deliverance ministry team and had a lot of contact with people and things that were never spoken of or taught on in mental health counseling. So I had to learn about what we would call the dark side of mental health counseling, a lot of spiritual issues, and came out of it, and I do now on social media, like a spiritual mother and a and now uh, what I do here on NASCA's radio show is to help teach a topic about healing. And tonight's topic I came up with is what is healing and where does one begin? If one is either small, a teenager, young adult, or an older adult, usually the healing begins when they start feeling depressed or have anger issues or sleeping issues or nightmares, and they end up as a therapist, maybe on medication for depression or anxiety, and that begins a healing. And when you walk into the therapist's office, which I used to be one, and I worked in nursing homes in state mental institutions, I was very comfortable with these kind of people, and um, the you know they want you to talk, the therapist wants you to start explaining why you're there and what's going on in your life that brought you to the um, therapist's office. And so a lot of people are not used to talking about their issues that they privately sort of endure or thoughts that they have. So what happens is, is that when our healing begins, when we make an appointment with a therapist, could be. Does your healing begin uh, in dreams? It could be. How about when you read a book about something of healing? Is that when it happens? When you might uh, choose to go to a spiritual advisor and they sort of pray with you. Is that when healing begins? Each person will have a different place where healing begins. Some might be in prison, on death row, uh, solitary confinement. Might be in a refugee camp. It could be just sitting at home. Could be in the hospital. Uh, Could be anywhere. So healing for most people, begins at some point. And when I like to talk to people, since I can talk from both worlds of mental health and the spiritual world. In mental health, you know, the therapist is there to objectively listen to you, write down and take notes that may have to be called into the courtroom, into law, and try to figure out what happened to you, uh, what your problems are, what your issues are. And usually they just scratch the surface and they do some initial diagnosing of problems. Like you might be depressed and you're not sleeping or eating right. But at the time you go in and even after a few uh, sessions, which can be very expensive, and in the mental health counseling world, uh, if you work for an employer, they will give you three, maybe four, maybe six, if you're lucky, uh, therapist sessions. And that's all that they'll pay for And if you've had some childhood trauma and maybe you haven't remembered it, or you're having bits and pieces, flashes, nightmares, PTSD, it might take more. 
this one young lady I was helping, she was living in my home. She'd had multiple personalities, severe spiritual, religious abuse, and all other kinds of abuse. And she was with a psychologist here in town. And he said it would take about six or seven years of coming three days a week for a couple of hours. She was on anti-depression medication, anxiety medication, sleeping pills. And uh, so as a PhD who worked with people with multiple personalities or what they now call disassociative identity disorder, it would be six or seven years of intensive therapy, maybe some hypnosis, maybe some biofeedback uh, and some other things in order to sort of reprogram, bring healing to her and solve some of her issues. Now the young girl was working, dating, had friends, going to church, had gone to a Bible school. So that was one level where in therapy it might take you many, many, many years, if not a lifetime, to get the healing that you're looking for. Some people don't know when they go to a therapist, uh, they've had a lot of childhood trauma. They have forgotten it's locked away. They don't have the memories, but uh, things are happening. They're having nightmares. So when you go to a therapist, try to get yourself educated on what's going to happen in the therapy session. Some therapists use hypnosis. They put your conscious part of your brain into a sleep, and they want to talk to your unconscious part. And they want to dig into your past and have the, your past sort of person relive what happened. And then they'll wake you up and they'll sort of tell you what happened. Other people might use imagery uh, to do that. You imagine this happening. Other people to just talk therapy. You will talk through your feelings and just work through whatever you've experienced in the last week or couple of weeks and things like that. And uh, then they'll say, we'll see you next week or next couple of weeks. Some people, like Victoria, who's doing the hosting tonight, she had drug and alcohol problems, and she went to uh, AA. And from there, she got off the drug and alcohols, and she discovered something called a higher power. She had a sponsor who stuck with her, brought her to the meetings, and she learned how to forgive people and understand a lot of things. She got off the drugs and alcohol, and then she could start, her body could start returning to normal without the, we'll call it pollutants of alcohol and drugs, and she could start dealing with a lot of issues. In spiritual work, sometimes there's a lot of, we'll call prayers. There's a lot of education that needs to happen. Uh, there's a lot of explaining that needs to occur about spiritual things and what part of you is happening. And so healing can begin at any time, and it can be done many different ways. Victoria, is there anybody online, or do you need to want to comment on anything? Okay, Victoria said her phone might be going off every now and then, but I'll just keep talking. Okay, what happens in healing? Where does it begin? Does it begin in your biological body? Does that need healing? Some people say they have body memories. And um, they need to um, have the body remember. So 
what happens is, does it happen in your mind? Where does healing begin? And what part of us is getting healed? So we want to see if Victoria is there. And Yes, uh, I am here. Uh, oh. We have uh, Philip on the line. Uh, let me bring him okay. on. Hello, Hello, Philip. How are you? Good evening. Good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Um, do you have any comments or questions for uh, Pastor Deborah? Um, not today. Okay. Well, we'll be, we can come back to you again because she's got a lot more to discuss. And okay. uh, I did want to mention too about uh, my story. This is Victoria. Um, that um, I actually did start. Um, not in, not in AA, but in uh, the psychiatric. I ended up escaping from my biological father at 21, couldn't function, and ended up in a psychiatric unit. And uh, they had me medicated with so much medication that I could barely function, but I couldn't put three words together when I got in there. So I was in pretty bad shape when I got in there. <laughs> but it was a long, it, that was when I was 21, and when I was 24 is when I sobered up. And okay, actually, I brought my okay. sponsor to the meeting because she was in a wheelchair. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but I brought her to meetings. So I had to be, uh, it was kind of good because it was like, well, we're going to a meeting tonight. And then it was like, well, I got a driver, so I guess I have to go. <laughs> it kind of yeah, was good. It was yeah. set up there. But I want to say that hey. also my spiritual healing really started in um, being out in the woods in nature, you know. And I felt very protected there. And I felt like there was just some sort of a presence. I wasn't sure what it was. I, like, didn't believe in the religious guy that I was, like, told about and threatened about. And But, but I felt really at peace and um, serene when I was in the woods. I would My grandparents would scream and yell and everything, and I would just run into the woods, which is by our house, and just sit out there for hours and, um, you know, just, just felt like I was comforted and protected and you know, for me, that that's my serenity, and that's my um, um, where I go to meditate now. That's wonderful, Victoria. People don't yeah. realize now, that nature. I have a yard where I start. I made a meditation area out in my yard, so I go out there oh. two or three times. Okay. When things get overwhelming, I just say, "Okay, it's time for me to go out there now." And I just go out there and listen to meditation music, or do journaling, or just sit there and. Um, to, you know, light a candle or look at some, some of the stuff I have out there and it's just gorgeous. I just love it. Yeah, years ago, and even now, uh, the nature provides a wonderful canopy, we'll call it, a relationship with us, whether it's animals, uh, to mm-hmm. bring healing. Uh, believe it or not, nature is here to help us. And yeah. it will provide... Um, Wonderful, like you saw, peaceful places. And mm-hmm. uh, before there was um, music or anything, people would go out and look at the stars. They'd go sit on hills yeah. and look at rivers and lakes, and they'd look at the ocean. And so mm-hmm. nature has always been used to calm us down, bring peace, yeah. to uh, think about things, and birds flying over your head or... Uh, the beautiful flowers, the sunrise, the sunsets, 
And a lot mm-hmm. of people even now to feel relaxed from just working love to go outside. And they're outside right. the building. And they're away from, like you said, a, a family or a house that's very noisy mm-hmm. and very loud. And so mm-hmm. that's wonderful. And so healing was beginning when you would run into the woods. Yeah. Because what you were doing is you are saying, I've got to get away from that emotional situation. My mind has to mm-hmm. calm down. I need some peace. Yeah. Now, what happens is we're all seeking it. And what happens is the, our peace gets disturbed when we have post-traumatic stress. And we have a nightmare. It sort of breaks through. Uh, when we are overeating, doing alcohol, doing any, we'll call it addictive behavior, we are seeking what you were seeking in the woods, peace. And we're trying to get that in our mind, and but it's coming through our biological body, food, sex. Uh, whatever we're trying to do, we're trying to have a winning attitude. We're trying to change the condition, the nature within us. So healing, some people don't know that they've been abused. They don't know that their trauma, their family has been abusive or that it caused them issues in their relationship. Most of us had no teaching about growing up going through puberty, being in a marital relationship, what life was going to be like. All we had was we looked at our family or we looked at our in-laws or friends. And if they were all distorted and and they didn't look good, then we would look, maybe you got on a sports team and the coach was nice. Healing can start there. But there are some people that I have discovered They choose to stay unhealed. And in the mental health world, they really don't, they believe in talk therapy, that if you can talk about your issues, re-experience or cry through your issues, come to the realization that it wasn't your fault, and maybe forgive the people that hurt you, you'll be okay. The depression will lift. The the fears will be gone. The nightmares will be gone. Uh, I'm not quite sure. There never was a real belief in therapy that you could cure or heal a personality disorder. That was ingrained. That was with you forever. And you are never going to outgrow it or get healed from it. And if you had any uh, psychiatric, very serious ones, they never really believed that you could be healed from it. It, They believed it was a disease of the brain. Biological things had changed, been distorted uh, from the trauma. And there was no way that you were ever going to really be healed. We can manage it with medication and maybe group therapy and uh, maybe get you in yoga and get you to calm your thinking down. But there never was any cure-cure where they could say, it's in remission. Actually, actually, DID is the only 
mental health issue that you can get cured from. Because I, I do, do not believe that lots of I'm cured of when I yeah. when I was um, in it. Most masters level people were not trained in it, and a few of your PhD psychologists and psychiatrists were. But a lot mm-hmm. of people don't know they have that, and right. a lot of people don't believe in it, and so it gets misdiagnosed a lot. It doesn't get diagnosed a lot. And the person Mm -hmm. who's there trying to figure out what is wrong with me, they may not even know that they have it. So it's a rare case. And Mm -hmm. I had to, when I was getting started helping people the Lord's way, God Mm -hmm. threw me in there with those kind of people, with multi-generational Satanists who were born into a family of severe religious, satanic, spiritual abuse. And the purpose, mm-hmm. uh, they would leave their bodies spiritually, was they had to create what you would look at as a Manchurian candidate. Somebody who had multiple personalities. This was done purposely. So yeah. they could live out in the world as a normal person, have a normal life, And at a certain time, at a certain signal, they would switch into another personality, go to meetings, Mm -hmm. do things like the Manchurian candidate, and have no memory of it. Right. And they lived a double life, and they they, uh, had lots of evil demonic spirits within them. They served them. Never heard of any of that in mental health counseling. And Mm -hmm. I heard of, of religious abuse, you know, in the Catholic Church and stuff. But never what that caused in the children or anything like that. So I had to open up my eyes and my understanding of a whole new world. And then at the same time, I had to learn about the gift of disassociation. That it is a gift so that when a child is being abused, traumatized, one, their spirit will leave their body automatically to run, get away. Two, the spirit and the mind are so creative, powerful, they will create a part that will go through the abuse, and they'll create a part that's not going through it. And then when the abuse stops, everything kind of comes back together, and it's a way of saving the, the child from a heart attack or going mentally crazy. And so I had to learn all this. I had to learn to watch people's eyes and their words, and I had to study. And God had to put these people in my life. I had to see the switching. I had to understand it. And I had to study mental health and how they work with it. But healing was, you know, is there. I have recognized that, and I learned this early on with some people who had gotten injured at work, when I was in the mental health world, that there are things people called lingerers. They really didn't want to get healed because they wanted the disability money. They wanted the a psychological attention that they got as a victim. They would go and participate in some of the uh, programs that were set up to bring healing or rehabilitation but really they didn't want it, so they didn't really participate. They just 
did it to appease some people. They'd rather... Uh, and so I, we learned that there are some people that really enjoy being a victim, being sick, and not getting healed, and blaming everybody and getting the money for it. And um, typically with a lot of people... Uh, even in their uh, late years, they're able to, you know, form different personalities to do different jobs. Like, one, we have a personality, we'll say, as a female, one as a male. When you are a child and you're at school, you have a school personality. When you come home, you have a different one. You go to work, you have a different one than you do at home with your wife or your kids. So we are wonderful creatures. We are able to adapt to situations and become sort of whoever we need to become. Like at work, we can't be a, you know, a mommy to our coworkers <laughs> and act like a mommy. we got to act like an employee. So in healing of childhood trauma, people will begin their healing journey in many different ways. And they will seek many different helpers. But the main thing is that people need to want to seek healing. My brother, who was diagnosed with manic depressive and borderline personality, didn't want to get healed. Now, he wanted to sleep peacefully, but he didn't want to grow up. He didn't want to be responsible for anything. Uh, He didn't want to have to really work hard. He wanted his parents to support him. Uh, He got married twice, divorced twice, had two kids. But he didn't really want to be a father. He was still tied in childhood and still trying to blame his dad and deal with his mom. And so he didn't want to do therapy. He was taking his medication for the bipolar. He did not believe he had borderline personality. He never accepted it. So there was nothing wrong with him. It was always my fault, my dad's fault, everybody's fault, but his. I live with him. And uh, so it is in some cases when somebody gets diagnosed in the mental health world, uh, the patient might accept some of the diagnoses, but not all of them. And uh, sometimes, you know, most of your therapists are not trained in spotting disassociative identity disorder or schizophrenia or psychotic or psychosis. They're not trained. They don't see that. They deal with divorce and some depression and some anxiety. Most of them are not familiar with childhood trauma. They don't know how it affects the children or how uh, early birth might affect the children or something like that. Are there anybody that has any questions? Victoria, you want to make any comments or Philip? Um, Philip, your mic is open. Would you like to uh, make any comments? Um, was your brother, the, the gentleman that did it, feel like healing? Would he do something like this show? Uh, he is in heaven now. He died. Uh, what happened with oh, my brother? Okay. okay. What happened with my brother is the story goes, which I learned later. About four generations back, a young lady in Northern Ireland had a relationship with a Druid high priest, and she got pregnant and had a a male firstborn son. The Druid high priest wanted to take the child and sacrifice it, you know, to the Druid 
got. She wanted to keep it, so she made a deal. She said, okay, if you'll let me keep this child, you can have my fourth generation child, my firstborn son. That turned out to be my brother. So he was set up so that, and how the story goes, my dad was in the military, and he would go off, say, to Saudi Arabia on a company tour or somewhere else. Uh, my brother was born in, I think, 1948, so the Korean World War II had sort of ending, and the Korean War was beginning. So my brother bonded with my mother, and then this stranger, my father, came back. And my brother started getting jealous because he felt sacrificed, rejected, abandoned by his mother. Okay, The enemy couldn't kill him, but they did a powerful number on him. By the time he's about 13, he's running away from home, stealing the cars, being a chain smoker like my mother. My mother had family issues she brought into the marriage. He was running away to California, getting thrown in jail blah, blah, blah. Not a peaceful life to be living with. I didn't understand what was going on. Nobody was talking. No family connection. Nothing. And so, later on, he got married. That didn't work out. Divorced. Then he got married again. That didn't work. And during the second marriage, there was issues. I don't know what they were. And they ended up at a counselor and they diagnosed him with um, manic depressive and so we got on uh, lithium for that. They had some marriage counseling and stuff, but that time his wife's already had an affair with somebody else, and so they got divorced. And uh, so he had no place to live, so he went to the woods. He ends up living with us, and he's now working in a special sheltered workshop for people with disabilities. He's on medication. He sees a psychiatrist, you know, when he needs to once every three months. He doesn't get into any therapy. And then my parents uh, were still involved in his life, and he wanted them to take care of everything, and uh, this was horrible. And so he was smoking, 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 and what happened to him, he got so negative, and we had to kick him. He lived with us for six or eight years. He couldn't even, you know, he's four years older than me, and we had he was so negative and horrible to live with controlling, taking over everything. We had to kick him out, and then my parents paid for him, and he never saved any money. So what happened was he was still a chain smoker, and he had a brain aneurysm one day in his car, and he ends up in brain surgery in Gainesville, Florida, and he became like a two- and three-year-old. His brain was so damaged. And he could never live alone again, but yet he tried to drive his car and wreck that, and he had to go to assisted living center. And he was taking all his money out, and he wasn't cooperating. He ended up being in a nursing home and passing away. So uh, I watched it close up, didn't have an understanding of it. And uh, But what I w- observed was he didn't want to be responsible. He blamed his dad. He was angry at his mom, but I mean, she passed away of cancer in my living room, which I can go through death with very easy no problem. And um, he he forgave her. I guess she forgave him. And, uh, and he, you know, it was a horrible thing. And uh, all he did was take his medicine, which was he ended started with lithium, went to Tegretol, 
And uh, he never had any therapy because it was never his fault. It was always his dad's fault, my fault. He blamed me for most of the stuff, blamed his mom. But he wanted her affection and stuff. No, he never sought any help. Never sought any. Just kept smoking, 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 gaining weight, smoking, 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 gaining weight, and taking it, seeing his psychiatrist, though. And, uh, but he never accepted that diagnosis of uh, borderline personality. So he can't come on the radio and help. And uh, he's been gone since about 2014, I think. And, um, Okay. Any other questions, Philip? Um, no, my no other questions. I know it's probably hard for a lot of men, Philip, to. They don't talk as easily as girls do. A lot harder for them to explain things. And um, what it takes is if you are seeking healing, the person that you go to the group or the, the pastor or the priest or uh, the therapist or a counselor, they have to have an understanding of men, boys, how your brain works, how you are different than a female, how your nonverbal communication is a different form than a female's. A lot of therapists don't understand how you deal with issues versus the female. Most of the therapists are females, not men. Men deal with issues differently. Uh, and so for a man who's dealing with this, they have a harder time finding therapists and finding the help they need. And, and, and it's harder for them to talk. Have you found that out in your uh, therapy and your healing journey? I used to not talk about any of my problems, but now I mostly talk about all my problems. (laughs) Good for you. Good for you. You know, boys will talk. Okay. What I had to learn was the mental health counseling world, okay, is our, our goal was to get you to talk about yourself, you know, open up and talk. But as a spiritual pastor, I don't have to get you to do that. I am supposed to already know by words and knowledge what happened to you. It's there. What is going on? Sort of, I already know. And I have to be able to properly minister to you knowing what happened to you and what is there operating. And then that way, you don't have to say anything. But what I found out is that once people start feeling the love that I was offering as a mother, they wanted to tell me some of their story. They wanted to tell me about their abuses. They drew me graphic pictures. They would send me pictures on email. This one precious one, Gavin, he was sold by his mother to a satanic high priest for child pornography, six months old. I've known him since he was six months old. Grew up in child pornography, heroin addict, multiple personalities, never had a mother, just horrible life. But they want me to get to know them. 
they want to be loved, even if it's just on the phone. They want to write to me. They send me their pictures. They want me to know what they look like. They'll look at me from a distance. They'll go to Walmart. They'll stand at a car, and I won't know it's them, but they're looking. But I had to already know and already be educated and studied. It's sort of like a doctor. When it, when you go into the doctor and you got, you say, he says, I think you got cancer or you talk about your symptoms. He is already well-educated. He has done his internship, his residency. He has seen what cancer looks like. He knows what to do. You don't have to tell him a lot. He is just verifying what's in your body that you can't see with your normal eye, but, you know, blood work, x-rays. He can see in lab work, and he can go, uh-huh. I know the procedures. You don't have to say anything more. And most of us love that because we feel safe that this person has spent most of his life studying my disease, studying how to heal me. I feel safe in his hands, whatever he suggests I'm going to do or the pills or medication because he cares. He's, he, he doesn't live a normal life like I do. He spent years in hospitals, very little sleep. He doesn't have a normal life. He's on call in the hospitals. All he does is he's around nurses and sickness and emergency rooms. He lives and breathes in the laboratory and the books, the research. He's not a normal person like the rest of us. But when something bad happens to us and we end up at the doctor or the emergency room or with emergency medical technicians, we feel safe in their hands. Because they have spent, their lives are different. They train. They're educated. They're all. They're so focused on helping you. And they already know about uh, what poisons, what this is, what it does. You don't have to say anything. You can tell by your blood work. You know, looking at your eyes with a flashlight. We love that about the medical community. Because we have not we don't know what to do. We don't know how to heal ourselves. And if we tried, it hasn't worked. And then they tell us something that is hard to believe. And they show us the x-rays. And then they have the answers. We don't have to tell them. We just say, I got a pain here. I don't feel right. They know what to do. Mental health counselors really aren't like that. They want you to explain how you're feeling, what you're thinking about, what your dreams are like. They want you to do all the talking. And they think by you doing that, you are opening doors about things you don't want to talk about. But a lot of times, we as a patient never really feel that safe with a therapist. With a pastor, if they're well-trained, like I was, both mental health and spiritual, you didn't have to say anything. I could look in your eyes and see it. I'd get words of knowledge from God. Uh, I moved in the gift called the discerning of spirits. I could see into the world. I'd read, studied. I was a well-trained doctor, so to speak, to deal with the most severely disabled abused and traumatized people 
that was that took a long time to get there. And I had to learn the difference between boys and girls. Now within some of the people I worked with, we'll say like we'll say Philip, I worked with a lot of men older than me, younger than me, uh, same age. They were counts, rich people, kings and queens in England. They were judges, lawyers, politicians, policemen, young kids in child pornography, drug cartel people. I had to keep my mouth shut. I couldn't talk to anybody about who I was doing ministry with, who I was getting emails from. What they, you know, they were offering me all kinds of money, wanted me to filter money. I was just, okay. but I had to understand that inside of you, there were children. You got boy parts, girl parts. Some of them got animals. I had one boy. He thought he was a flame of fire. Because he was going to be a minister full of passion. And in the spirit, his spirit was nothing but fire. And I'm talking to him on the phone. And all I could see were flames of fire, but a voice was coming out. And he believed since he was born that that's what he was. He wasn't a human. He had no arms, no face, no life. Okay, but he had a body, and he was going to be a, a minister, a evangelist, you know, somebody that was passionate. I try to think somebody like Hitler or something like that could really do powerful public speaking, and that was going to be. He was going to. We'd say they're on fire for the Lord. They are full of fire and passion, and that's what he was in some field he was going to do. But I knew different, so I did some prayers and. I, the flames went away. And uh, so I had to learn how to go into and peer into your thoughts. Uh, I had to have words of knowledge to know what happened to you as a child, uh, what kind of your ancestors, where did you come from, where's your dirt from. I had to study history. I had to study uh, all the different ancient religions, I had to study different uh, gods and goddesses, all kinds of stuff. And uh, it took me a long time. But I was going to be working with very severely traumatized, abused people. There was a religious component. There was a sexual component. There was mental component, emotional component. There was biological components and I had to study all areas so I was one of those unique individuals uh, that just I, I couldn't explain it to people I couldn't talk to them I just studied but what I learned was everybody wants to be healed at some level but at other levels they go I'm enjoying the benefits I'm getting Social Security disability. I don't have to be responsible for anything. Nothing's my fault. And I can get revenge and stuff. My brother was this way on my mother and my father because it's their fault. And so, uh, Victoria, do you have anything you want to comment or offer? Philip? 
Yeah, I'm uh, I'm on SSI. I know a lot of people on SSI, um, and I would definitely rather not be, but I could not maintain a job with uh, complex PTSD symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I got a lot of help from therapists. I almost didn't want to go to therapy because I was felt I was going to be blamed and shamed, and mm-hmm. uh, I wasn't. And uh, I think the only thing that labels are good for is so that you can get help. You know, if you don't have a, a, mm-hmm. a psychiatric label, um, the, the um, your insurance will not pay um, to get therapy. That is correct. And, or, you know, and uh, the thing I liked about AA is that it was free. <laughs> you know, that and is there's correct. also ACA, Adult Children of Alcoholics, which I go to in Al-Anon, which is family and friends um, mm-hmm. of alcoholics and drug debt, you know. And, uh, you know, when I went in Ellen on first, they said, you, um, um, there are three C's. You didn't cause it, you can't control it, and you can't cure it. Because I went in basically because my family was so dysfunctional, mm-hmm. you know. And, yes, uh, Also, uh, you know, they said you have no control over other people, places, or things. Which is like, that okay, is we're correct. not control over everything. Because, like, that's what I've had in control over, I guess. You know, but I have control over myself, my actions, my behaviors, you know, my thoughts my reactions and um when i started realizing that uh i had choices you know because i really kind of mentally trapped myself into thinking i didn't have choices you know because that mm-hmm. was my life so even like a well, today's day i have to keep myself mm-hmm. i have choices you know like mm-hmm. when bill asked me to come speak on uh the first time on nasca and tell my story you know um that was really scary but um you know, I have a choice of who I tell my story to, and uh, I have a I have a choice um, about how I tell it. You know, when I tell it, um, if mm-hmm. I feel safe to tell it. You know, I just wanted to put that in there because uh, it's really helped me heal by sharing my story, by coming on here, mm-hmm. by volunteering with you know this organization and volunteering with other organizations I belong to. Um, that's a big part of healing too, and uh, yes. The people that, you know, come on here and tell their story, I just want to say for anyone that would like to come on and tell their story, um, you are helping other people, too, because you might have something that you say, just even one thing that might be able to help one other person out. And that's why I can tell you, can you continue to tell my story and talk to people that call me. My name's on the um, NASCA website as well as many others. Mm-hmm. Um, if people want to call and talk to somebody, that is a survivor, you know, because that's one thing um, we don't focus on, like, religion or um, um, politics or anything like that. You know, the one commonality we all have is adult survivors of child abuse. And uh, that's correct. I just want people to know that, you know, when you call, you're talking to another survivor that hasn't necessarily been through what you've been through. We all have our adult own stories. But the fact is, is that we don't compare stories no child abuse is okay. You know, none of it should have ever mm-hmm. happened. And I just, anybody that's listening to this, whether, you know, you're a survivor, you know a survivor, you know, um, NASC so much information on the website. I always want to put that in there. Um, that's and then, um And that's why we keep um, bringing guest speakers on, like Pastor Deborah. I just want to say that we're always interested in also having other people come on because, you know, the education that you're bringing up is really important, that there's so many healing paths and healing journeys. And every time somebody shares mm-hmm. a story, I hope, I just hope or 
um, you know, like a talk or whatever, that somebody can just get something out of it that will help make their life a little bit easier, That's a little true. bit better. Bill, yeah. you got anything to say want... about telling your story? Well, I, the first time I told anybody that my dad um, abused me was at a men's class at church, and I still haven't told it on NASCAR. I'm kind of nervous to tell it on NASCAR. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's hard to tell the story, especially for boys, okay? Mm-hmm. And because it seems to be the uh, sexual act is it's much different, and it's much more humiliating for boys than it is for girls. But I want to commend you for telling your story, and I know you come on NASCAR a lot, and you are a wonderful voice of healing and hope for many men and young boys. And yes, Victoria, it shouldn't happen, but that's human nature. There is an enemy out there of uh, healing and doesn't want you to get healed and wants you to stay, you know, abused and that kind of thing. So it takes courage to seek healing. It takes courage to tell your story, even though you're afraid. Because people don't really want to hear it. And they don't want to hear that a family member did it. Mm-hmm. And they, it's shocking. And it's humiliating. And that area, well, if it's sex, it is not talked about. Not many people, right. parents, even talk about the puberty. They don't talk about the sex act. They don't talk about the orgasms. They don't talk about all kinds of things. I got a very short one. But it wasn't, didn't tell didn't tell me anything about. We don't get talks about you know marriage and intimacy. Uh, I think right. I got something in high school about how an egg and a sperm somehow, but I'm not quite sure how it got together, and I wonder what circumstances and a baby's born. Mm-hmm. But most of us, when we are young, are very immature. We're giggly and silly. Children, you know. Um, they are, cannot handle this, but children are innocent, and there's a lot of evil stuff that goes on. And so, Philip, I commend you for telling your story, and men, it's a little harder. I want There was a young guy that had a lot of experiences like you. He actually, have you written it down, Philip? Um, I wrote it down, but I wasn't really happy with it. It was kind of messy. And it wasn't complete. Okay. okay, here's what I want to tell you to do. That'll help you. This young guy I was helping, and he had been abused. Just write it down on a piece of paper, scribble it out, then slowly type it on a computer and put it in a binder, get it spiral, and just keep it. You never know down the road when you need to send out a written form of your story or read it on a, you know, read a chapter of it. And it can be used years later by other young kids. And it can be read. And uh, it can be as you know, as graphic as you want it to be. I have people send me stories with pictures, very graphic. And sometimes that is very helpful. But if you write it just a little bit, maybe by chapters, by age, and stuff, and get it in written form. You don't have to sell it or anything, 
I would use always wrote after I went through an experience, wrote my stories out, sit, type it up, print it out, get them bound up, and then when I was doing ministry or you get a connection with somebody, you would ask their permission. You might mail it to them, and at the end of the book, you might have some healing um, words for the person. Like if your story is the same as mine. Here's what I did. Sometimes there's prayers for healing, just words of encouragement. There's resources. So your story doesn't have to be. It can be sent out in in short form. Um, It can be sent out, you know, in different ways. You can have a little booklet in short form, and so you hand out whenever you're traveling and say, well, who are you? Well, let me give you this little book here. Just, you know, got a picture of you, a little story. And in the back, you can have your contact information if you like to, you know, something like that. It is well worth it. It's a freebie that you can do. And sometimes people, before they die, they want to get it all out and get it written out, whether anybody ever reads it or not. That's not the case. Sometimes you just need it to get it out of your thoughts and bring it out, you know, into the world on a piece of paper. And I have, you know, no. I have, huh? Go ahead. I said, go ahead. I'm sorry, Miss didn't interrupt you. So that's what I would suggest that you take some time and just write. Then type it up, or you know, you can, because you never know when there's another young one that you need to give it to. And a lot of people, I actually had guys when I worked in the jail a lot. They would write me poems that they had written. Some people write their story in poems, or they write their story in songs, or they do it in paintings. Okay, they put it, and they would give them to me uh, because they wanted to talk, but sometimes this was the only way they knew how, in a song or a poem, and so they would write it. They'd get it out, you know, get that relief themselves of it, and they would give it to me. And there's a lot of people that need to hear it, and I just keep it. And, and uh, on this YouTube channel, The Hidden Kingdoms, which I have, I, I videotape myself reading their stories. Letters I wrote to psychics all around the world and letters they wrote to me and letters that were written to me by people and uh, all their horror stories. And, and I have a volume coming up. Uh, volume 2 in the kingdom of the God we love, it's going to be very graphic of the stories I went through and the people that I worked with. You get it out, and a lot of them are passed on into heaven. But there's a new generation, Philip and Victoria, that it's just now happening to. The same thing that happened to you, it's happening to five and six-year-olds right now. And they're going to get on that path, and they're going to need some voices that are older, more mature, that have been there, done that, and they can give counsel about a healing journey that you went on that they could go on. The therapists change, you know that. They retire. Uh, doctors change. But the process, AA is still there, is it not, Victoria? Oh, yeah. Oh, by the way, yeah, Philip yeah. dropped off. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. AA is so you know. still there. Al-Anon is oh, yeah. still there. 
Yeah. Yep. Therapy is still there. Nature is still there. Yeah, nature is still there. Well, but it's really beautiful out here because the um, the leaves are changing colors here in Minnesota. I saw the picture. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. We're just down here in Pensacola. We are enjoying having no hurricanes so far this season. Oh, that's nice. Nice and sunny. No storms. Because we kind of live on so the I edge most of the summer. Day. Today was a pretty warm day. I was going to go out and take some pictures, walk down right by my house's uh, bike trail. Going to walk down there and take some fall pictures, mm-hmm. you know. Okay. And then it started raining. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm well, like, I know there's still some days. I'm going to have to bundle up a little more. But um, I want to get some fall pictures because I just, I really love the colors changing. It reminds me of, you know, the different seasons. Of our lives, you know. Uh huh. Uh, so, and then I people... want to say, with, with with recovery and healing, um, you really have to, you know, um, be determined um, that you're going to heal, and be determined mm-hmm. that you're going to find a way to, heal, you know, because well, you really feel like, like... It's all it's going to be, all it's going to be, and it's never going to change. It won't, right. you yeah. know. You really have well, to know that there. Here's how it works: is you have to have somebody for you, and AA was your sponsor. Mm-hmm. Been there, done it. Going to hang on yeah. to you. In mm-hmm. therapy, clients come and go. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what happens is a in pastor work. Pastors retire; they you know get busy. A yeah. spiritual mother is different. You're always my child. Mm-hmm. You've got a long road to go, and I'm always going to be mm-hmm. with you. Now, sometimes people, they'll get way off. Different personalities will come up, and they stay up, and you have to keep your distance from them. And, uh, but that's just that personality. Yeah. Yes, it takes somebody who's out here, and it doesn't have to be a therapist, as you found out. It doesn't have to well, be. And also a lot of people, you know, they rely on one person, and that person dies. And they feel mm-hmm. like, you know, well, now I have nobody. But if you mm-hmm. have a spiritual relationship with a higher power like I do, I know that no matter who passes in this world or what comes my way, my higher power is always going to be with me. That's correct. No but in mental I, health, yeah. In mental health therapy, there is no higher power. It's medicine right. and talk therapy. Right. Okay. Right, but no, they recognize a lot of people. they recognize that yeah. people heal even better when they do have a spiritual yep. um, mm-hmm. way that they have. You know, even the, yeah. even AA mm-hmm. brought in spirituality because um, you know that's a big part of the steps. You know, that's correct. Um, what happened in and, the mental health community? They started bringing in something called spiritual care. That uh-huh. along with your therapist and your psychiatrist and your medication. So I would go into mm. the stab- a crisis stabilization unit. If you went and, and had issues and the police mm-hmm. brought you in or something, you're going into the crisis stabilization and you're going to get stabilized. And I would come in mm-hmm. and teach on spirituality. Because what I would tell the patients there is, okay, you're, you have a psychiatrist. We love them. They care about you. They don't want you getting in trouble with the law. They don't want you killing yourself. 
And they want, they're trying to help you with the way that they've been trained through medication. But when you leave here, the people that's out in the community with you are mainly pastors. You can come and talk to them 24 hours a day. They're in the hospitals. Your psychiatrist ain't going to show up in the emergency room. They're going to be a chaplain there. They're in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the workplace. They're in the hospitals. Mm-hmm. They're in the church buildings. And so mm-hmm. a lot of people, they don't see that I always looked at it, that the mental health world and spiritual world, we are partners. The mm-hmm. psychiatrists yeah. care deeply for a human being's mm-hmm. biological brain, mm-hmm. their chemical balance. They don't want them committing suicide. They want them being happy, having a happy family. Uh-huh. They care deeply for the human being. They've spent years and years studying the brain and everything. And they, the difference is psychiatrists think, you know, they've got the answer. Mm. And they don't cooperate in partnership a lot with the pastors and the spiritual I don't know about that. And so what I happens I is... I think a lot about my realizing, like you said in your bio, mind, body, and spirit are, you know, you can't they're starting just... To, they're starting to get them. there. Well, yeah, here's what happened. Back in, the, back in the early 90s, okay, there were Christian radio shows and there were Christian psychiatrists talking. And a lot of people started to go into mental health counseling. And they wanted a Christian therapist. They wanted right. to hear Bible passages. They wanted to be prayed with and had to explore that. Mm-hmm. And there really wasn't any. And so people were volunteering. I go to Sunday school. Mm-hmm. I can work with these people. And it slowly yeah. sorted Christian counseling sort of started coming up to the forefront for a lot of people. And mm-hmm. um so spirituality started creeping back into mental health counseling. But because the medical community controls mental health counseling, your problem mm-hmm. is a biological disease, a disorder, an illness. It has a number. Depression has a number that the insurance sure. companies yep. recognize, that everybody recognizes. And it's not spiritual. Uh, so mm-hmm. you don't need a pastor. And a pastor doesn't well, understand all the biology. A lot of spiritual counselors did not understand views. They weren't trained that's in correct. that area. Cause that's I, correct. I've They're got not. a lot of people that thought go to a Christian counselor and they, they, never would, get they would understand it right away. thing is, they is would that, never get you know, let people know that whether you go to a pastor, whether you go to a counselor, whether you go to, you know, wherever you're going, find out what experienced person has like you know you came out and you told us your experience you know and then somebody's gonna be more comfortable coming to you knowing that you not only have the spiritual part of it but you know about child abuse and you know about and you know about that that helps somebody feel like oh she can help me but it's okay to ask questions because some people go i went in there and they interviewed me and i said did you interview them and they go what and i said you know like what their training is what their degree is how they can help you you know, they just look at me strange, you know. Or I had a wedding girl and I was going well, to Skype. Well, they kind of... Every time I call you, 
It feels like I'm, feels like I'm going up to my dad because he's yelling at me. And I go, you okay. know what? You can get a dance. Right? Nope. Well, here's how it, it works great. for you. In the mental health mm-hmm. world, it is run by doctors. They are the yes. authority. They know it mm-hmm. all. They've done a lot of schooling. You walk in mm-hmm. and tell them a few symptoms. They'll take it. From there, you feel safe. So when a person goes into a mental health therapist, a psychiatrist, we don't say much. Except I just not sleeping mm-hmm. a lot at night. Okay? Yeah. I'll give you up. Okay? That's it. Because most people don't <laughs> yeah. want to... Uh, expose their true story, what's happening, and yeah. so they don't interview the therapist. Well, because they most clients don't walk mm-hmm. in with knowledge that they've been mm-hmm. abused as a child with all this, so they don't know to ask the questions. Mm-hmm. But I was trained yeah. by God Himself, the higher power, that everybody that came to me on the phone, everybody that. Uh, he, everybody coming into my life, everything, have all had this issue. I didn't have to ask any questions. It'd be like if you're a cancer doctor and you get all these patients, they all got cancer. Okay? That's, right. That's just the way. Okay? That was my expertise, yeah. spiritual abuse. Mm-hmm. And it came from physical abuse. So I didn't have to mm-hmm. ask them a lot of questions. If I had questions, I went to my higher power and he'd give me words mm-hmm. of knowledge. But I had to mm-hmm. recognize I had to see the trance when a multiple personality going from one personality to another, blah, blah, blah. So right. I had intensive training to help people mm-hmm. the Lord's way. When I was working with this young girl that I was telling Philip about who uh, lived in my house and she was uh, Seeing a psychiatrist three days a week, he said it would take six mm-hmm. or seven years, she told me. I said, okay, you know, at least you got some hope that you're going to get healed. Yeah. You're with a qualified person. He's got you on the right medication. All right. And then God tells me, I want to show her and him and her friends that it is that with me, it will not take mm-hmm. six or seven years. To do yeah. So I'm going, I don't know what that means. But we were sitting at my kitchen table. And one of her parts comes up. It was a little boy. He'd stick his tongue out at me. He wanted to talk and play. It was a boy. And I just and I just knew God wanted to do something. He was going to show yeah. them and me how he does healing. Okay? Right. And that he can heal you. He can take away a lot of your parts, call them, your personalities. He can bring healing to your mind. And he was going to do it differently than the psychiatrist or the psychologist. Now, this psychologist got in trouble later. He had sex with her, got her pregnant, you know, a violation of all kinds of stuff. Okay. He was married man, you know, just not a good story. All right. Because when you are a therapist, there are ethics that you must abide by. These are very vulnerable people that are coming to you, and you cannot treat them as family. You cannot mingle with them. If you notice, you don't hang out with your doctor. You don't play golf with them. They don't go to the same clubs. They can really have no contact with their patients. 
Uh, they can't they do anything. They have to uh, sort of. They see all the public they can't even acknowledge. That is you. correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because they have to, because it's ethical. They are in a, pow- a position of power, authority, yeah. and you are a victim. And, and it's mm-hmm. too easy to take uh, advantage of somebody who is having issues. So healing is something that the, having one tell their story can begin mm-hmm. somebody's journey, writing your mm-hmm. story down, not to sell it or make a book, but just right. to have the memories of it, like writing in a journal. But you can mm-hmm. get it typed up and give out it in short form to people wherever you go. You can carry them in your purse or back pocket and you meet somebody. And I had to learn that when you're going to help mm-hmm. people, I'd they're like everywhere. To talk to you after. I'd like to talk to you at some point about doing that. I think that it would be a great idea. I'd like to do that. About doing what? Um, writing down my a part of my story to hand out. Okay. This how I really like him. Steve here, when he was uh, the evangelist at the Brownsville Assembly of God Revival, mm-hmm. he had a little book called Stone Cold Heart. He had a couple pictures mm-hmm. of him when he was a teenager and when he was in jail. And then just, you know, a few pages of how he got started, yeah. what was wrong, how he got saved and had a prayer at the end. My son wrote uh-huh. a book called The Sound Man. I've got that on the YouTube. I read it out and it's a little bitty, little bitty thing that you could keep in your purse and you're out there. And mm-hmm. I went to Walmart and I would, wherever I went, any restaurant, I knew God yeah. wanted to reach people. He wanted me uh-huh. to pray with people. People that had mm-hmm. issues were everywhere, all ages. And so I always had to be prepared to pray with people, talk with people. Uh, yeah, and I always carried these little books with me, and you it doesn't have to be anything. It could be one page folded over, uh, you know, like yeah. a book, you know, something that you just hand well, out I to wanna, people. I want to do one with my my breast cancer story. Do you what? Know, surviving surviving breast cancer that was told was untreatable, inoperable breast cancer, mm-hmm. and I didn't give up. You know, and now that was back in two. 2000, I was told I had untreatable, mm-hmm. inoperable, but and I want to share that. Uh-huh. That would be. A and what story you have I'd to do is you, ha- what you have to do is you have to learn to write, and uh, well, you can to- get somebody, a friend that can read it and say, well, you need to correct mm-hmm. spelling here, and you need to make that yeah. a little, and you just make it. And at the end, you put, if you want some more information about my journey, contact me. Here's my email address. Here's a breast cancer awareness phone number, and you just keep them in your purse or your book bag and wherever you go. I looked at every...